supposed to be air conditioning well and uh i've been your, having trouble with it paying your rent on time i actually am paying, paying the rent <laughs> All right. uh but it's an old building and um the air conditioning uh, uh freezes over when you get too excited about being cool oh lordy shall we get started i think we should start and we're back. Welcome to Recovering the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And boy, do I have a show for Mike. You do? That's <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> Today on RMA, spring celebrations abound. Mike attends Nat's graduation party and Jed Shred joins us to discuss how recovery dharma helps him stay sober. All this and more on a very special edition of our M-A. Awesome. Um, um, go on. Oh, I was going to do the next part. Go. Because, you know. Yes, that's a forgot division we're doing of, Division of labor and all that. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, so you can visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Find us at uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook. Things are getting hairy on Facebook. Yes. Uh, yeah, people lots are of starting people to talk. are coming in and uh, having discussions with one another. It's great. Sometimes I feel like people are not actually talking to one another, but like across one another. Well, but that's yeah. Facebook, right? Uh, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and Twitter. I saw you've been doing Twitter things recently. I'm trying to twat or tweet the twits. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very intrigued by Twitter because as a marketing person, professionally, it's been one of those like frontiers that I've just been avoiding like the plague. Like right. when it started to get popular and I was working in marketing, um, I just, I kept saying to my clients and myself, ah, this is just a fad. You know, I was that old guy. <laughs> I like, think it's past fad status <laughs> I would just now. say, no, 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 um, that's a fad. It's not for you. It can't help, you know. It's only because I was afraid of it because I never used it and I don't understand it. But um, it, it really I'm trying is, to. It really is a horrible place. Uh, it just, ampl- it, <laughs> it's it, just a horrible place. It amplifies um, minority opinions about things, you know, That's that and makes them seem much bigger than they actually are in, in reality, which I suppose is good from a marketing perspective. Uh, anyway, if you don't want to talk to us on Twitter, you can join the discussion on our exclusive and private yes, Facebook. That's group. where the real stuff is that's happening. Right. Um, I post stuff there that we don't. We both post things there that we don't post in the main page. We've got five thousand people following us on the main page, and about no, three thousand. You know, so so it is private. It is exclusive. Uh, send us a request, and we will let you in, assuming you answer the questions and, and you're not some weird model from the Ukraine. Right. And you have to <laughs> submit your vaccination card to join. The, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, there are some strange people that have requested admission. But we, lo- uh, I love strange people. I'm a strange people. Well, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, people that may not have recovery as the thing that's foremost in their mind when they request <laughs> to join the group. Is all I'm saying. Right. Um, Anyway, also, uh, if you want to talk to us, um, other than listening to us and have an exchange, you can reach out to us on various forms of social media or on our um, emails, which are posted on the Facebook page and so forth. Great reviews that are given to us uh, will be read on the show. 
Uh, open your Apple podcast app, search for our show, click the Drunk Monk, scroll down to where it says reviews, click on write a review, give us five stars, tell you how much you love us. You could also just give us five stars with no review if writing a review seems onerous and irritating like it does to me uh, for most of the podcasts I listen to. You don't have to do that. Yeah, and we'll read uh, stuff like um, if you write something cool on, on the Facebook page or something. I mean, we prefer the, uh, the iTunes reviews because it helps, but right. you know, reach out. I don't think you guys realize how important it is for a new podcast to get get those, um, those reviews and ratings. So uh, if you could help us out, throw us a bone, we would appreciate it. Uh, merchandise is available. I, w- I would say it's new merchandise, but it's more or less the same. It's new because only three people are wearing the shirt. Yeah, that's right. Oh, actually, I'm so gonna, hold on. I'm going to, I'll have to block your eyes out. Nat is actually wearing the merch <laughs> today. I'm that guy who wears his I, own merch. Uh, I considered it because I have the, the one of the shirts behind me, like in my little workspace. But I'm like, nah, who does that? Who would wear? Who does it? <laughs> who does You're that? looking at them. I when I was in bands, I would loved wearing my merch, man. I've never seen the Grateful Dead wearing a Grateful Dead T-shirt. They don't even wear tie dyes. And you didn't know Jerry. We were, they were more like Eddie Jerry, Bauer guys. Jerry, I assure you that Jerry never wore a Grateful Dead T-shirt. Yeah, he was just wearing he pajama had two, pants, two T-shirts, black. Yep. And red. And if he wore a red one, uh, there were trouble. trouble well, look, you don't see Donald Trump wearing Donald Trump ties. Uh, actually, you do, don't do you? you? I don't know. <laughs> he probably eats Donald Trump steaks and drinks Donald Trump wine. and uh, That would explain. You know, douches with Donald Trump. <laughs> douche. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so anyway, go to middleagesrecovery.com. That's a website for you kids out there. Yes, our website, website has been worked on. It's And it's still being worked yeah, on. Mike uh, hates it, but I think it's going it's, going well. I don't know. It's there's a um, there's something he doesn't like the, about the it. The feng shui is not right for it's me. It's not feng shui enough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so go there, click on the shopping cart. You should see what we have available because there's like nine copies of the same thing. That you should buy one of each. Wait, no, we're, you know what? And if you guys have ideas, because like it's just me and Mike here and Utpal and Jeff helping us out, but we need all of that's, the. That's the that's crew. A lot of people. <laughs> that's the crew. <laughs> Only four people. Well, when when uh. When Jeff gets back from his honeymoon, which I forget when that is, we're getting ready to talk about expanding our uh, merchandise. Yes. Tell us what you want. Like, if you want coffee cups to drink coffee out of or whatever, you know, hide your vodka in at work, whatever you want to do, let us know and we'll we'll see about making this. The one thing I noticed, though, is like you have to order like 700 of them. (laughs) Well... Like the minimums are a little little high. Well, true, but... um, there are pl- ways to get, it's right. just less yeah, it's, expensive. Uh, we should probably have a business meeting rather than having the business meeting on the show. I agree. Um, okay. Yeah. Tell us your story. We like stories. By logging into middleagesrecovery.com, you can scroll down and fill out our Your Story form, which was inoperative, but has now been fixed. Yes. Thank you, Paul. Uh, or you could just email it to us either way. Uh, and you could hear your review read on the air. And in said, fact- Do we have one? We have one. Okay. Uh, and this is from- uh, this is from Shiloh, right? Right. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Up to you, man. All right. Let's read it. Hi, Mike and Nat. I am all caught up on your podcast and I enjoy your banter at the beginning. You I hear think, that, Aaron? Is he? <laughs> I think it's important that you are relatable as people with normal lives. Normal being in quotes, as it should be. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> this is the new normal. Life gets in the way and you show that it's possible to recover and stay sober while dealing with everyday life. I appreciate the books you discuss and the various methods available for recovery. I am fairly new to the recovery mental health world, but when it affected my brother, 
I needed to become knowledgeable about it. My first venture was the Dopey Podcast. Yay, thanks, Dopey. And I started to realize how much I related to the stories. I may not be a true alcoholic by definition, but I drank alcoholically. That's hey, something we can talk about, I can, buddy. I can relate to that, man, because that was that was kind of my position. That's there sort of like splitting hairs, you know. No, no, it's not <sighs> well, we true. Can... Alcoholic, like I don't need. I don't understand. If that. you're drinking alcoholically, like if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a it's an alcoholic. Alcoholic is a term <laughs> that was invented by. Um, okay, but that's your just problem with the word alcoholic more than anything. Not that this. Uh, yes, the word is a real the, problem. The word is problematic because it it comes with a raft of assumptions. It's it's very it's a very Buddhist thing to actually not use the term alcoholic. Very Buddhist of you. It was something I hated myself for, and I thought about it all day from the moment I woke up. I didn't want to drink, and I wasn't going, and I and I wasn't going to. But by the time I got off work, I'd be drinking multiple beers and smoking cigarettes. I tried to quit for a few years, and was so hard on myself when I. When I did, when I couldn't make it more than a few weeks without drinking, the addiction gene, if there is such a thing, runs deep in my blood. Plus, that is where, that is what we were raised with. I've been sober for a year and a half now, and I appreciate not feeling like shit physically and mentally. Indeed. I notice how much alcohol plays a part in daily life. It's everywhere and everyone drinks. You touch on that and how detrimental that is to our health. Yeah, um... Totally, totally uh, relate, and I think that's why you're relating to the show. It's, it's these are the same realizations that we kind of had. I mean, mm-hmm. whether you're an al- you call yourself an alcoholic, you're drinking alcohol. Either way, it's it's really when it, you realize how much it harms your life and your happiness and your day to day, and uh, when you finally come to that realization, and then you realize it's not so easy to stop because it's everywhere and yes. it's an addictive substance right. and like, and then it kind of dawns on you and you're like, fuck, I got to do something. Right. That's and, the uh, definition of an alcohol use disorder. Ah, very good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being open and honest about your struggles. I feel the stigma of mental health and addiction wouldn't be as bad if we started to discuss it rather than hide it. Agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so hard to find help and on, know what to do for my brother. It still is, it still is, but people like you make it so much less stressful. You have already provided me with some great resources and I feel validated. Sincerely, Shiloh. Wow. That is such a, I I love that. Thank you so much, Shiloh. And I'm sorry you had to go through that with your brother. And and these are the things, and you know, your own struggles. I mean, these are the things that everybody is dealing with. And just like you said, we should talk about it, you know, and in just by not talking about it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So in talking about it, in being open with my own struggles, of which I have many, um, I think it, it helps get the conversation going and it's going to help people feel like they can talk about it and not feel ashamed. So thank you, Shiloh. Great, great email. Shame is the, the, the one thing that prevents a lot of people from getting help. A lot of that shame is because people adopt or uh, internalize the label alcoholic, I would argue, but that's... Hashtag fuck shame. Yeah. That's... Uh, um, fuck it. I think that's an Amy Dresner. Is it? Yeah. I like uh, That's one. I, I like that one, fuck shame. Um, hey, do you have a job again? Are you working? <laughs> yeah. After, after a blissful year of sitting around taking pictures of birds that have been living <laughs> in my backyard, all of a sudden, all the courts across the nation have reopened seemingly simultaneously, right. which has resulted in a... a a crush of work for this beleaguered and overworked 
uh, proto attorney, you know, <laughs> sitting in my house making phone calls and doing Zoom mediations and stuff. It's gotten actually quite tense um, because, of course, everybody wants everything immediately. Sure, because they've been uh, waiting. Right. <laughs> Everybody's just been waiting for something to happen. And now that thing is happening everywhere all at once. Uh, yeah. So that's a little. Um, but I think stressful. everybody is sort of in different ways, but it's. It's going. It's going to affect you know how we do our show. I feel like this is something we've talked about this whole time, and um, I wanted you. It's hard to. What like, are the implications for recovery in the middle ages when your your career picks back up? Well, I do the best that I can to keep Friday mornings free and clear of um, stuff. Yeah, phone calls, whatnot. Occasionally, like a few weeks ago, I had two back to back on a Friday morning, and I actually. And what, they were, one of them was a $30 million case. And I hope my boss never listens to this podcast, but I actually moved, I actually made up some excuse and moved the phone call. Uh, That's right. I moved five attorneys to the <laughs> afternoon, <laughs> high powered corporate guys who bill a thousand dollars an hour. I made them accommodate my schedule because I had to do the podcast. Now I didn't tell them that's what <laughs> I said. I had another call and I played the other call. Up the sacrifices the call. we make for our, our listeners. Our art. Uh, that's I, right. I, I like to call this art. It is. What we're making here. <laughs> it is. It's, it's very art. So, but, uh, so you can reassure. I mean, listen, listen, we're not going anywhere. We're not. Right? I close my store. Like I have, a, if you, you, you guys are just listening, I, I own a retail shop and uh, I'm the only employee. We record here and I literally changed my hours. I closed the shop Friday morning so we can do this. So, I mean, the thing is like, we get, um, you know, we get those emails from Shiloh and people that have written us over the years, uh, over the years. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> we're not that. Yeah, really. Uh, over the months that tell us how much this means to them and how important it is to have recovering the middle ages in their lives. And that is a real motivator for pushing other things aside and making sure this has priority. Sort of like you should push other things aside and make your recovery your priority. That's right. right. Anything you put above your recovery, you will lose. Right. And so for, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, Nat, but yes. for me, this is part of my recovery, mm -hmm. the work that I do for my recovery, yeah. talking to people and uh, out there and in the internet lands. We, and, we should uh, make a program that involves you starting a podcast. <laughs> like, here's how you get recovery. You make your own podcast. Right. And then charge for it. Yes. That's like those people that write those books, like, like how to make I'll show you how to make a million dollars and you send them $5 for the book. And then the book, the book says, says <laughs> write a book telling people how to make $5 million. Yeah, right. by, yeah. Um, it's so many, there's so much scamming going on out there, but, but can you hear me clicking this pen? Cause this is my nervous thing. You, yeah. you smoke the vaping thing, but yes, I, do I do this. I do this. Well, that's I twice as annoying as the yeah, it, is, it is annoying. I apologize. Um, um so you know what? No we problem. Something though. really fun went down last weekend. It did. Uh, we, you had your graduation party. That's right. At, and I, I might add that it's like the first party that Aaron and I have been to in, I can't tell you how long. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's it was so exciting. It was cool, and it was all uh, you know. We're we're celebrating my uh, graduation from uh, college at, at an advanced age, and um, we have a lot of uh, of good you know neighbor friends uh, who um, we were just like super psyched to get together. And I wasn't really I don't like celebrating myself as a sufferer yeah. of an imposter syndrome. I absolutely hate birthdays. I don't want to be celebrated. I agree, man. Um, Absolutely. I hate it. I hate it because I'm always thinking, you, if you only you know, knew. Um, <laughs> if what, you only knew what a piece of shit yeah, I am. Yeah, you know? 
Um, but it was so nice. And also just getting you and Aaron over because I know you don't know all of, like you live in the same town, but be, you, like you don't necessarily know these it people. It is so hyper local, the neighbor thing. Yeah. And my fucking block is full of like hillbillies and, and old people. It's, yeah, it's weird. It's just ridiculous. It's just like, it's crazy. So you your got, block has like normal suburban people on it. Yeah. They're, it's, they're, it's, it's, they're pretty cool too. They're not a bunch yeah. of phonies. Like one thing I always worried about, like getting into suburban life uh, as a parent was like, oh, everyone's going to be such a fucking phony. And like, I'm real, man. And these are like, they're real. They're like cool. They're yeah, actually yeah. cool people. We like to hang out with them. And I'm glad that you and Aaron could come hang out. And um, it was really cool. And was there alcohol at the party? There was alcohol at the party. So, it, had, it was in its separate cooler, which was, which was nice. Right. And so my joke was when I was telling people what, where everything was, I'd say, um, I'd say uh, al- uh, sorry, the, in the fridge is the, the alcohol and in the cooler is the adult beverages. Right. Right. <laughs> it's my shtick. Well. No, nobody got it. I, yeah. I, Except for you. Yeah. Well, it was also nice being at a party where there was somebody else you knew who was not drinking because that I think is a unique situation for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I'm what coming up on two years and the, the work thing's been pretty shut down. So that was the first time I went to a party where I knew there was somebody you can else. Be comfortable. Who was, yeah. And, and that's one of the benefits for me kind of being out about not drinking. I mean, of course I don't tell all of my neighbor buddies, mm-hmm. you know, the details uh, unless they're now listening to the podcast, which is starting to happen. Well, some but, of them are <laughs> maybe um, not the ones at your party though. They're all practiced in not offering me drinks. They don't act shocked when I'm drinking a seltzer mm-hmm. and it's just a comfortable atmosphere. I'm comfortable with their happiness. I'm happy to have a drink for them. Right. It makes, I don't like, I don't regret it. I don't feel bad about it. In fact, you got to meet Sergeant Slaughter, which uh, has been a recurring uh, character on the show. Before we get talking. to him, I just want to thank you for, yes. for um, getting that case of Topo Chico lime. Because yes. That is, um, that is a delicious seltzer water. We mm-hmm. don't have any branding or No, we posted, a, posted a picture of it. But, um, the funny, it was really weird because I drank one and I was like, oh, this is good. And I had another and I was drinking them like beers. And I, <laughs> it was like, I was there a half an hour. I think I drank three of them. Yeah, and I was like, man, I got to back off this shit. Yeah, you know, man, I got to drive it's, home. It's, it's a little, you know, I just had to pee a lot, <laughs> yeah. which was the problem. But, um, you know, the other thing about going to a party like that sober, um, I used to go to the, go to a party and I would just drink. And the food would be there and I would be sort of conscious in the back of my head that there was food there right, if I right. wanted to eat, but I would never eat it. Right. Um, I would eat like a, a bunch of chips, but you put out quite a nice spread. I mean, you had uh, Mikey Clams was there. Oh yeah. My clamor buddy came. And, I, and I've always like been hesitant to eat the clams that come out of our bay. Really? Just because like, it's probably I gross. I don't know. They There's taste like, so good You though. know, I grew up around here. I know what that bay looked like in the seventies and man, I wouldn't eat a clam out of there then, but it seems like it's recovered quite nicely. So, but the clams were excellent. Yeah, and Mike, then you had the, the big Italian hero and there was all this other food. And I was like, yeah. I finally went to a party and actually ate. Yes. And that was a wonderful thing. And I was so happy to see everybody, you know, having fun. And again, my, my old friend, Sergeant Slaughter, who we've talked about before, yeah. he actually made an effort to come. I didn't know if he'd be able to because he works, but he he came out and uh, he got to meet <laughs> That was Mike. so weird, man. Yeah, because he didn't know who you were. I mean, he knows you from the show, but he doesn't know what you look like. Right. And so uh, finally, I was like, hey, uh, you know, Joe, do you want to meet, uh, meet Mike? <laughs> Quote, unquote. <laughs> And, uh, and so he did. And how did that go? It was weird, man, because like I was talking to him for a little while and he kept 
dropping things like, and I'm like, stuff from the show. Yeah. And I don't know this guy. So I eventually I, I just grabbed him. I was like, you know, you know an awful lot about me and I'm finding that very weird. Yeah. And he just kind of laughed. I mean, you know, I found him to be a perfectly pleasant, nice guy. I mean, we talked about bird watching and stuff. Yeah. You guys share a passion for uh, the avian uh, photography, I guess, or following birds. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He, you know, he, he made, brief references to his drinking, but you know, it's not he really actually, something we're going to stand there and talk about at a party. So yeah, well, but you know, he actually said something that I want to talk about in the show. He kind of asked me, he's like, cause you know, we had alcohol, people were drinking, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And he said, doesn't this drive you crazy? Oh yeah. Um, and I thought that was a really good question. And a long time ago, it would have driven me crazy. And let me say that I wouldn't, and I didn't have alcohol at my house for parties for years mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't comfortable. So the only reason I do that now is because I'm at a point in my recovery where I feel comfortable having alcohol in the house and it doesn't call out to me in the middle of the night. Like right. for a while, if there was any alcohol in the house, as soon as my wife went to bed or wasn't home, I would sneak it as fast as I, and I think other alcoholics can relate to this, mm-hmm. you know, that, that desperate sneaking of like running outside and there's a beer hiding behind the garbage can. Oh, I'm just going to go uh, take the garbage out and you've got a hidden yeah. six pack and then I would you know, drain like three or four and God forbid the neighbor was looking at his window. Like, you know what I mean? But that, well, you can always tell who, who the alcoholic is. I, I, sorry. Who has the alcohol use disorder in town uh, on recycling mornings? Yes. (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) Especially people are running out at like 5 a.m. right before the truck comes. Do you think John the can man like knows exactly who the alcoholics are? Because he goes, uh, he's in my uh, neighborhood too. He comes around collecting cans. Um, But the, the answer is I, I don't, it doesn't drive me crazy. What um, what it does is it makes me feel really good that I can be at a party or can have a party with mixed company like that, mm-hmm. where it's not like, and one thing I didn't love about um, the AA culture was it was like, stick with the sober people and only do that. Stick with and, the winners. And, it, and it's actually a very good idea to do that um, for a lot of people early on, and I'm not poo-pooing that, but... For me, I, I like a variety of people and mm-hmm. I like to be safe. So when I finally got to a point where I could feel safe around alcohol, I wanted all of my, you know, normies, Alcoholic so to speak. To yeah. Yep. Yeah, the active <laughs> alcoholics, you know what I mean? So uh, it didn't drive me crazy. It made me super happy that I could make other people happy. Uh, as a people pleaser, this is my dream. Making people happy is, is a wonderful thing. Um, what I noticed uh, was, you know, when I first got there, I met one of your, your neighbors who was a, a really great guy uh, talking to another one of your neighbors, but they were like drinking uh, a soda. And, but then they got on, they both got into this conversation like, oh, the next one's going to be a beer, you know, <laughs> it's like, they got, they're like really into it. And I was like, oh wow, that's interesting. You know, like, yeah, I can't wait to get to the beer. Uh, well, I wonder what the conversation is because at most parties, people will bring a bottle of wine or bring alcohol. Mm-hmm. And now they've all, they all know I do not drink. Mm. And so I wonder, and I don't know how many of them know it's because I had a problem or for what reason, but, um, maybe they're sure they assume it. Um, you know, I made a comment once or twice, you know, early on, like I used to drink a lot and now I don't drink it at all. Or Mm -hmm. I'm allergic when I drink, I break out in handcuffs. I've made some jokes like that and they knew I couldn't drive for a bit. I I think they know what's going on. I think they didn't know where I was. So they, like they were talking, right. You know, about getting beers and stuff and maybe looking for like a partner in crime or something. I don't know. But, uh, (laughs) 
And I, I demurred and grabbed, grabbed I want another people uh, Topo to be, Chico. I want them to be comfortable. I don't want them to feel like they can't yeah, enjoy course, themselves. Right? Obviously, I don't want people getting wasted at my house, but um, I just want people to be comfortable and not be weirded out that I'm... Uh, well, I, yeah, that's understandable. Your parents, by the way, lovely people. Uh, I guys talked to your dad for a while. Finally. Yeah. And they were like, were we supposed to come? And they actually weren't supposed to come. Really? Yeah, but I wanted them to come because, <laughs> I, like I said, this graduation is as much their success as mine. They've mm-hmm. been so supportive of my education. And um, and it was cool, right? You got to talk to the old attorneys. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I love talking to those guys. They got a million stories, you know, always very, usually very well read. Yeah. And, you know, oh, not yeah. like the young attorneys today who don't really yeah my dad is the- a reader both my parents run like book clubs and he did they mm. do classic literature you know and they do yeah. some new stuff but yeah very very uh, uh, lovely people i mean he can talk and talk and tie everything back to the ottoman empire if you give him enough time <laughs> um yeah, you know excellent. and that's that's where my vocab comes from <laughs> but uh I, one thing that i thought was interesting um you kind of started, you know, doing a f- few more like on top of all your work and your podcasting. You have all these other hobbies. Yeah. And uh, and you shocked me when the other day you said, I'm going scuba diving. Yeah. And to me, that sounds like impossible, but we actually <laughs> live on an island. We do. It's a, uh, and I forget that sometimes. But our water is very chilly. Um, so I don't know. So I, uh, I got certified scuba diving in 2006, which is like a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and then I didn't dive for a, a little while when the kids were young. Um, but if you're going to live up here um, and you want to dive, the only solution is to get yourself like a dry suit, which is not a wetsuit because you're dry inside, yeah. um, and go diving around here. But I, I always under- thought, I always thought that the the sea life and the where we are is not like in the tropical where everything's colorful and, and that the water is murky. Is that all wrong? And there's yeah, some of the water's murky. It depends on what you do. And and I was thinking about this actually in the drive over here this morning, how, you know, I got certified as a tech diver. So like diving on wrecks below the limits of recreational diving, doing the de- cool. decompression stuff. Oh you my know. God. I want to learn how to do that um, stuff. So bad. But I was doing all that while I was like, you know, drinking. Um, which is dangerous, you know? Yeah. Um, but I would, you know, I knew when I could, I had enough control that I could sort of reel it in when I needed to, but not enough that nights before I was going out to do a dive on say the Oregon, which is at 135 feet off the, the coast of, uh, Long Island, um, that I would still drink three glasses, maybe four the night before I'd go out on the boat. I'd be miserable the whole way out there. Yeah. I'd be sick. Did you go into withdrawals at all from alcohol? Were you drinking that much? No. That's good. No. <laughs> I, I mean, withdrawals. What? What? It, like physical? Little shaky. Yeah. Well, that major de- anxiety. Some no, sweating. Uh, minor anxiety. And yeah. minor anxiety at scuba diving. Not a good mix. No. Right? Because you gotta. You, there really is like a checklist when you're on a boat and you're bobbing above a wreck and you're getting. You're trying to get dressed and the boat's moving yeah. and there's like six other guys in the boat. I can't imagine that. And look what ha- look what happens to me when we're about to do a podcast. Imagine I was well, about to go you diving. Gotta, you got to go through a mental checklist and and yeah. if you fuck up your mental checklist, that's bad because like if you yeah. jump in the water and you don't have your weights or something or you don't. Have have your, you know, yeah, I get the right anxiety thinking uh, about mix it. in your tanks and everything. So, um, the fact that I was doing that and while well, I was still a little, uh, you know, and uh, what I, uh, what I, I wanted to say was that not only did you go scuba diving, yeah, but did you go with a listener? I did. did, is, did I he, did. He didn't win a contest or anything to go scuba diving. With no, you. It's no, just he somebody didn't. we knew. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's he. That's what he does. You yeah, know? I think it's it's, <laughs> it's 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 interesting because like when it comes to like podcasting, like, 
you know, in, in this area, uh, I know quite, quite a bit. And then when it comes to the area of diving, I mean, he knows everything because right. he owns the dive shop and he's the dive guy. Yep. Uh, so I'm very much a student when I'm, when I'm with him, even though, you know, I'm certified and everything. You sure. know, I, I always look to him because he has a level of expertise and mm -hmm. he's extremely competent and very good at what he does. And it's cool. Um, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Just the idea that this scuba diving is going on. Um, but yeah, I finally, you can dive off uh, just to, you can dive off the beach though. You don't have to go out on a boat okay. to the middle of nowhere. So where I went the other day was out in the Hamptons. There's a bridge that goes across from Dune Road to the mainland. And under that bridge is a, a startling variety of sea life for Long Island. Okay. Um, if you wait until August and you go, uh, the tropical fish are blown up. Uh, either through a storm or through the Gulf Stream and kind of get lost and a bunch of them end up under there. So you can see tropical angelfish and so on. Yeah. Uh, and because it's an underwater structure, there's a lot of fish. And I'm That's sorry so cool. this is not a podcast on scuba diving because I could talk about that all day. I but it was, a great, uh, it was a great dive even though the water temperature was 52 degrees. <laughs> That, that sounds awesome. So uh, if, yeah, if, are we going to have a contest to go scuba diving with Mike? <laughs> um, you know, uh, we're, uh, I want to move this along a little bit um, because we do have the great Jed Shred oh, yeah, coming, uh, coming on. We're going to call him. He's going to call in. Yes. Are we going to call him? We're going to call him. We're going to call him. Uh, we should do that. Uh, but, you know, after we do the show last week, uh, what I do is when I think of things I want to say or that come to me, I write them down and then um, I put them on the outline and, it, and it's just something that I was writing down that I was thinking this week after the graduation party, I was doing a lot of um, uh, reflecting. And one of the things, uh, this is, I'll just read you what I wrote and then we can discuss it. I wrote, I was just thinking about how I used to lead a double life. Uh, you know, I was a deacon at my church, a Sunday school teacher, you know, a, a PTA dad, I wasn't in the PTA, but I'm like, you know, the dad of children that's active in the community and a jolly neighbor, but I had this secret life at night, basically, and during the day eventually, which, um, and I was hiding that I hoped no one would find me out and find out that I was living this lie. So like, I had this version of me that I wanted to be, that I projected, and I did everything in my power to be that person. Probably overprojected. Right. right. And, but, and, and that was part of my depression, I think, is because I wasn't living up to my own projection of the person I, I was. Uh -huh. And so a lot of the work I've done in the past three, three years, four years almost, is to make my real self match what I'm trying to project. And I think I've done that. And there's a, a certain amount of joy. And it's one of the reasons I can come on this show and, uh, and reveal all of these shocking secrets, so to speak, of, of my past and the mm -hmm. things I used to do because I'm at a place where that's not me anymore. Right. Um, I live what I think is an authentic life, of course, except for the fact that this is an anonymous podcast and I don't want anybody to know, but the truth is I kind of do. As you notice, I'm not that anonymous. Well, it's getting more authentic by the day because yeah. more, it seems like the circle of people that listen to this uh, locally continues to expand. Um, yeah, I, I, I have mixed a, feelings about that. So, yeah, so do I. I mean, you know, I had a encounter with someone last week who apparently listened to a couple of episodes and uh, not sure how he found out about it. The story he gave 
um, didn't really compute. <laughs> like, well, Nat posted something on uh, Facebook, and I followed a link, and somehow yeah. I found the podcast. And I'm like, I'm nah, pretty we're, careful we're, about we're that. We're pretty good about that. <laughs> I don't think that's how that happened. And look, it's okay. I get it. It, it might make some of these people feel awkward, like, um, and and it makes us feel awkward, but it shouldn't, you know, because I, I do. I'm confident about who I am. Um, and I, part of what we're doing here is bringing this stuff to light to say like, yeah, maybe you look at me and say, well, you know, he's got his shit together and Mm -hmm. he looks happy. Um, but the truth is that I might've looked like that before, but this is what was really going on. Right. And here is how I, I fixed that, or here's how I worked on it and got better. And I want people to know that they can do that because a lot of people live lives like this. Right. They're putting one face out. I mean, this is very normal to do that. It's not like evil or horrible, but this is, you know, for me, happiness means uh, coming to terms with, you know, matching up what I'm putting out uh, as far as who I am and what I actually am. So well, never, uh, I you, wanted to make that. You never really point. know what's going on inside of somebody. I mean, what, no. what does they always say right after they arrest the serial killer? He seemed seems, like such a nice guy. He seems so nice. He, was, <laughs> he went scuba diving a lot and birding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, just, just by, by the fact that, um, you know, the information or the fact that we're doing this podcast has been getting out in the community. You know, it's kind of forcing me to to be more open about where I'm at with drinking and recovery. And, you know, I don't really care who knows what in this town. I mean, this town is really weird though. It's, it, it trades on gossip and salaciousness and stuff yeah, but like I that. Find people are generally but, pretty cool. Yeah. Like when it they comes are, down to it. they are, but they, but they, they're nosy too, yeah, you know, like any right, small town. Sure. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, but it, the, the flip side of that is like in my work use, like a mild, level of alcoholism was expected yep. and, and, you know, and it was the norm, you know, I, obviously I kept the drug years a secret from my coworkers, like, you know, cause you can't be just sitting around. You can, you can sit around and laugh about how many beers you had last night, but if you were like, yeah, and then I went out and <laughs> scored some crack and I've been up for two days, <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't fly, Me. you know, but, uh, but the alcohol use was accepted. It was encouraged, you know, so, you know, I didn't really have to keep that part hidden. So, know? so it's, it's an evolution. We're evolving and, um, we're evolving. It, we're evolving, and I just wanted to say that um, I think the other the other points I was making before we get to to Jed, and that should be up to this, is now that I'm uh, I'm I've graduated college now, and I'm looking to change my career or add parts to my career. Um, and I am seeking advice. It's not like people are just giving me unsolicited advice. Listeners, please drop Nat an email uh, if you have any ideas about what he should do with the next five or ten years of his life. And uh, we'll, the, the best suggestions will be read on the show. Yeah, the best suggestions will be read on the show. And um, Because I've been talking about maybe I want to get my teaching certificates and masters or I want to um, get into therapy or do recovery coaching. And I I also am doing this story. So there's so much. And people who are teachers are giving me lots of advice. I'm going in lots of different directions. And it made me think like how I've gotten very good at at dealing with getting advice from people because it used to be very intrusive to me Mm -hmm. and drive me nuts. Like people, you know what you should do when I open this door? People like, you know what you should do? What you should do? I hate that expression. Um, And what I do is, is I, I wrote here, how to deal with people's advice without having to agree with it or your plans to follow the advice or not. Like, how do you do that? What I do is you don't have to decide whether or not you will take the advice 
from that person or explain to them whether or not you will follow it unless you unless you want to have more clarifying questions. Otherwise, I just thank them for the advice and then change the subject. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't try and have the debate with the person giving me the advice about whether or not I'll take it. No. I don't even like question the logic to it usually unless it's really outlandish. I'll just be like, great, you know, thank you so much for that advice. And then I move on because I don't want to have that conversation because I don't care necessarily what they think. Are you, are you asking people for advice or are people just volunteering sui suiciponte, as they I, say? I'm getting the legal both. Suiciponte, that's yeah. a good one. I get both. I get both. Huh. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, um, I don't give advice unless people ask me for advice because yeah, I'm the same. people don't. People tend not to take the advice that they don't ask for, right? right? And they, and they tend to take the advice that they follow that they ask for tends to be advice that confirms what they already believe. Right. So right. there doesn't seem to be much point no. in saying you should do this, or maybe you, you know, you can say maybe you want, might want to consider right this. But you know? people are very like, this is what you should do. Here's how it should do it. like, or looking at something you are doing, you need to do da 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 da, and then instead of saying no, I don't, or what do you mean? You don't have to do that. You do. I just say, Oh, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, I'll thank you. I just, just yeah. thank you. Yeah. Uh, can I get you something to drink? I'll carefully <laughs> consider your, your words of wisdom. Yeah. I'm not interested in you know, debating with people about right. well, what it is I should or shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> so with that, I yeah. think we will call the great Jed shred, um, for our recovery Dharma uh, interview. Jed is a person in long-term recovery who actively hosts and attends recovery Dharma meetings. When I think of Buddhist recovery, he's the first name that pops up. Um, and what are you playing? <laughs> it's mm. the Heart Sutra. Hold on, I'm getting to Om my phone. Shri Mahalakshmi Swaha. Okay. Om Shri. Let's try. Oops. Mahalakshmi. Try this Maha. thing. Okay. Just, just, just. Is that too loud? Only in my ear holes, right? I think it's okay. Let's wait till he talks and see if it's. Uh... Oh. Hello. Hey, Hello. Jed. Jed. How are you? Hey, how's it going? This is Mike Good. and Matt. Hey, welcome to Recovery of the Middle Ages, Jed. I'm so so happy we that you pe- picked up the phone. <laughs> we never know with our guests whether at the last second they're going to be like, ah, those two, not those two clowns, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Well, we appreciate, where, where are you, what part of the country are you in? I, I, I'm not sure what the 913 is. Um, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Love Kansas City. Oh. One of my favorite cities. Yeah. I think that's the home of Rawlings uh, baseball bats and stuff like that. Also, isn't it? Hallmark cards. Really? They have a very, yeah. they have a very interesting World War One memorial. And it's the been. home yep. of Recovery Dharma. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but at least for our group, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to get Jed on is because. Um, the last episode, you know, Mike is very uh, interested and in st- he's been studying Buddhism and now he's in recovery. So we're very interested in this this kind of um, recovery model. And um, on the Dopey Nation, that's how I know Jed. We're both big Dopey fans and are involved in the Dopey Nation uh, mm-hmm. Facebook group and all of those things. And they have these Zoom recovery meetings, which are great. I don't go to nearly enough, but there is one that Jed runs uh, for the uh recovery dharma and 
Uh, I really wanted to hear kind of, well, first, I think we wanted to hear a little bit of your story beforehand, if that's okay. Sure. And then kind of how um, Buddhism and, and recovery Dharma sort of shaped your, uh, your sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of, kind of weird because I, I started, uh, getting interested in Buddhism, practicing Buddhism, um, roughly around the same time as, uh, I would say my, my addiction started. That was back in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of, I, I started, started out with, with weed and that was, pretty uh pretty just here and there for a while but then started drinking not too long after that and i think once i once i started drinking that was when it uh really kind of took off yeah it multiplied the effects (laughs) yeah yeah um and so yeah i mean pretty much from high school till uh about Two years or so ago, I was, uh, I'd, I'd say my weed, weed and alcohol were definitely my, my primary drugs of choice. Um, and then I, uh, when I later in the later years of my, of active addiction. So, uh, probably from like 20, I want to say like 24 to 27 I uh, got really into uh, harder drugs but I was kind of a I was kind of a garbage head you know I'd take pretty much anything that would that would get me uh, get me out of my head um, but my my other drugs of choice besides uh, booze and weed were uh, ecstasy for a while um oh, i remember that, ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was uh somebody in the dope nation when i was talking about ecstasy uh, and my experience with it uh mentioned that the other name for ecstasy is misery and uh, <laughs> and that was definitely my experience that, that 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 was the one drug that that you know almost took me out um wow. but then uh after that i got it really into uh LSD for a few years. Oh, um, uh, yes. <laughs> so LSD, weed, booze, um, those, those were the big thing for, for a while for me until I got sober. Stayed on the psychedelic end of things. You never, you never abused canned air, did you? Nat apparently did. I, did I, I, I really, I never, I can't quite get my head around that. It, it was like a period, sort of like, you know, uh, Picasso's blue period. I had a, a canned air period. <laughs> yeah, no, I never did that. But I know you guys were talking about uh, nitrous and whippets the, yeah. the other week. And I definitely did my fair share of that. Yeah, that, uh, that was fun. <laughs> Uh, hippies hippie crack times. <laughs> yeah i was just telling somebody like uh a hippie speedball is uh is um what was it a whip it and uh and a kratom shot or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hippie speedball yeah i never i never uh never uh tried any of the kratom but yeah did did you what what type of buddhism were you um did you first get into when you were in uh, high school? Cause that's kind of where it, where it started with me. I, I kind of stumbled into a Zen, um, a couple of books on Zen and then kind of followed that vein for, for a number of years. 
Yeah, so um, my older brother is really the one that got me into Buddhism, and he has um, he was into Tibetan Buddhism, okay. and so that's kind of where I started. Um, and there's a um, one of the few sort of Buddhist centers in Kansas City is a it's a Tibetan temple, and so I would go there pretty frequently in high school, and I took my my first refuge vows there that's um, amazing and, and this is all in kansas city missouri yeah that, see to me okay. from like an east coast snob type of person <laughs> like that's amazing that this is going on all over the country that that's even possible kansas city is pretty it is chill. i know I mean, i've heard that uh, but i you know i'm very myopic as a, as a new yorker so I, I think everywhere else is just you know like you know hay and uh there, you know, cows and things. There are a lot of Christians in that part of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Buddhism is definitely not huge here. Um, and definitely at the time I was first getting into it, it was less big than it is maybe now. But yeah, there were, there are only a few places you could go for, for Buddhism in Kansas City even still to this day. I mean, in, in New York and like LA, I'm sure there's tons more. There, you can pick. I'm off the top of my head. I'm thinking like three different sects of Tibetan Buddhism, <laughs> a bunch of Zen yeah. temples. You know, uh, it's all yeah. I mean, we're we're um, we're spoiled when it comes to, yeah. to the availability <laughs> of various Buddhist but uh, <laughs> things. You, so you were into Buddhism, and this is while you were still using. So it was it that you, when you finally decided to get sober, you you started probably. I mean, did you explore just like standard twelve step? And you know, when you got ready to get clean, or someone was making you, whenever it started, you know, when when did you decide? Oh, there's a, a Buddhist angle to this, or there's this other uh, recovery modality that that works for me. How did that go down? Yeah, so I mean, I was kind of in and out of Buddhism and like learning about it and practicing it for all the years of my active active addiction because you know those things don't really uh, go well together. Um, Mindfulness and and weed not not such a great pairing. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Uh, uh, even if you're not just even if you're not high at the time you're trying to meditate or something, it's still hard when you're just living that lifestyle. Sure. But, um, so, um, I, I kind of drifted away from Buddhism in the, um, the last few years of my, um, active addiction. And then when I was, um, trying to get sober or basically mostly trying to quit drinking at the time, um, I was kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe if I get, you know, maybe if I get back into Buddhism and get back to meditating regularly, that could help me. And so I started kind of reintroducing myself to Buddhism, listening to some podcasts. Um, and on one podcast, the, the uh, author, the guy that started Refuge Recovery, who is kind of a controversial uh person but uh is that like i Noah's, didn't know that uh, noah levine, noah levine. Uh, appara yeah. apparently he got caught uh dipping his encouragement stick in the wrong bodhisattva <laughs> or something I, i'm not really sure how yeah well went, uh, yeah something uh, something along those lines yeah and i I didn't, I didn't know about that at the time but i just heard him on this podcast you know talking about 
refuse recovery and his experience as an addict. And that kind of changed everything for me because I, that's when I found out, you know, oh, there's actually a uh, Buddhist approach to this um, whole addiction recovery stuff. And I had, I had like, I had tried like a few AA meetings before years before that. And just, it didn't really, didn't really jive with me. I think it was particular meeting that I went to, but cause I don't have anything against 12 step or AA for the most part. Um, but yeah, once I found out, um, about refuge recovery, which is where I started, um, and my group, we eventually, uh, switched over to recovery Dharma, um, after I was already involved with that for is that a, big uh, differ- about a year. Is that a big difference? Because I'm just learning about all of these. This, but even though you've been you've been doing it on the Dopey Nation for a while, I, I haven't engaged, so to speak. But now that I'm I'm reading about it, I, I wonder. You know, I was a little confused when I was starting to do the research for the show, like because you have this. It's like refuge recovery and recovery dharma, and, and so mm-hmm. what what is the difference? So there's not really a big difference. Um, you know, they're, they're both Buddhist recovery programs. Recovery Dharma was born out of the whole controversy around Noah Levine, not, not just his sort of scandal, but also um, the, the idea that he was kind of too big of a personality involved with refuge recovery. He was kind of trying to control the whole thing, um, according to uh, the, the people that split off from refuge recovery and started recovery Dharma. Interesting. Um, and, uh, so yeah, recovery Dharma was created out of a split from refuge recovery. Um, and it's basically, I mean, the book is probably about almost recovery Dharma is probably about half the length of refuge recovery. Um, it's, it's kind of just a more straightforward, simplified version, I think. Um, and we, in our Monday group, um, that's the Zoom group um, with some dopey people, um, we, we switch back and forth every week between reading out of refuge oh. and reading out of recovery dharma because mm. we kind of, we, we appreciate both books um, and we kind of just try to separate sort of, you know, the, uh, the message from the messenger right. when it comes to refuge recovery. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> super important. And just, you know, as a parallel, um, because I was, uh, I did the my rounds in uh, NAAA uh, and CAHA, and I was sort of the same way with NA and AA. I would go to the different groups, and I read the, both the basic text and the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I would see, I would sense a lot of animosity in the members of the respective groups toward you know the other. And uh, I, I never understood that, why there was, I mean, I did, I have my theories as to why, you know, the NA people sort of feel like scorned children compared to AA because it was born out of it and they don't want to be connected with it. And their word is clean, not sober. And they have all of these little weird quirks that yeah. I always thought were just very strange. But just the parallel between um, Noah L- Levine or Levine and uh, and Bill Wilson, you know, it's really kudos to Bill Wilson for not going down that road. He was always so careful, I think, about, you know, making sure that he wasn't trying to be bigger than the program. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really kudos to him. But um, very, very interesting. I mean, yeah, uh, Buddhism in this country, like, um, 
scandals are sadly t- tend to be typically more the norm than the the exception. Yeah. I mean, it's almost in every Zen community I've ever been associated with, there was always some hanky panky or shenanigans going on. And some of it was sexual and, but some of it was just power tripping and, you know, that's, I don't know, really know much about what went on with uh, Levine, but. Um, yeah, but it's like, but Jed's uh, right. Like it's, it's the, the recovery Dharma. It's, it's great. You know, we're, we're saying that um, this program is great. The ideas are helpful and groundbreaking. Now let's, let's get away from this personality. Yeah, who's Cause right. look, every we're human, he's human. And so that's very interesting. And so, uh, and you run the, uh, how does a recovery Dharma, you know, some of us know how a 12 step meeting goes. Um, what, mm-hmm. what is, what goes on at a recovery Dharma meeting? So, um, the basic, uh, format is the beginning of the meeting. We sort of, we read a little bit about the program and, um, how the program works, um, and then we read um, a little bit on uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And then whoever, we, we have about mm, four or five people right now in the Monday group that rotate uh, leading the meeting. Um, and so whoever's leading the meeting um, will lead a meditation, a guided meditation uh, for about, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, That's cool. There's a bunch of different, yeah, yeah. I there's like a bunch that. of different meditations that we do that we kind of rotate through. And then uh, we, we read a selection out of um, one of the books. And after that, we have time for sharing, um, just like pretty much any other recovery meeting. Um, yeah, that's the basic format of it. I love the sound. I love the idea of that. You know, like I, I got, I get, I still get a lot out of regular 12 step meetings, but now that I'm, I've, I've dabbled in, in meditating. And from what I'm studying about Buddhism, I really love the philosophy. I, I, it really ring, you know, and I feel like this just sounds like a really, like a, if, to me, I, I think of the word safe when I hear you talking about the way that mm. you know, the meetings run. I feel like I would feel so safe in that environment to, to, to meditate and to be guided through something like that. Um, so that's really cool. I really am going <laughs> to, I know he says, I'm going to go to more meetings, but <laughs> I, I really, really, really want to. Are there, are there live meetings yeah. in Kansas, Kansas city recovery Dharma meetings? Uh, so, you know, we, we were doing, um, in-person meetings back before the pandemic hit. And then, uh, we are about to um, start up in-person meetings um, in about a month. So um, in June, we'll be starting starting back up with our in-person meetings. I was um, kind of I was surprised to see how many there are, like all over the country. I, you know, there's yeah. a list on the on the on the website there, and um, you know, what do you what do you think that attract it is that attracts people to a more Buddhist sort of view of, of recovery? Do you think it's the fact that, um, it's not based in 12 step or that, you know, you don't have to, to believe in God or a higher power mm-hmm. necessarily? Cause I, I, you know, I was on the refuge, um, or recovery Dharma Facebook group the other day and somebody posted, I saw, um, you know, uh, a question that said, how do you, how do you deal with depression, uh, without a belief mm-hmm. in God? And I, I don't know if you're active mm-hmm. on that group or not, but, um, 
there were some some really thoughtful responses about the the difference between um, between a, a Buddhist centered approach to recovery and something like a twelve step um, group. I mean, obviously there were some people that said no, you can't recover without God, but they were. Um, you know, skill, skillfully uh, <laughs> redirected, perhaps. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that was, it was very interesting. Um, so I know, I know that's uh, like five questions in there, but maybe you could talk yeah. on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I think the big thing is the, the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't require or encourage, yeah, a belief in a higher power. Um, I mean, you could, you know, there you can you can practice Buddhism and still believe in uh, in God. Although, if you get into the really sort of nitty gritty uh, sort of traditional teachings of Buddhism, it will basically tell you there's <laughs> there's there's no there's no reasonable <laughs> there's no reason to have a belief in God right. basically. But uh, um, but yeah, I think that's the primary thing is that you don't have to do that. You don't have to submit to some power greater than yourself. Um, and also, I think I think re- recovery dharma is uh, it's it's a lot more uh, sort of you know you kind of do you kind of get a lot more freedom to sort of do things the way you would want to do them. Now, I think that can be a little bit tricky for some people because, you know, I think some, you know, especially newly sober or uh, people that are trying to get into recovery or get sober kind of need some direction. Right. Um, so they can get that if they want it, but basically, you know, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna force you to, uh, to work a program the way they want you to work it, you know? Um, and that's kind of what I really like about it. Like, you know, I, I kind of sometimes say, I don't even really work a recovery Dharma program. I just kind of work Buddhism right. and I go to recovery Dharma meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, like I don't, I don't write out like inventories and stuff like that. Um, I just don't feel like that's necessary for me. Um, I tried it like the first time I started refuge recovery. Um, I wrote like, sort of wrote like one inventory and I think it, it was pretty ridiculous and it ended with me like saying like, Oh, well at the end of it, this inventory here, I wrote like, I can still smoke weed and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I like, I look back at that, like thinking, wow, that that's the pretty, problem sometimes. Pretty naive yeah. of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, med- meditation is sort of a uh, foundational in, in Buddhism and, um, yeah, you know, I, I guess it's a foundational aspect of of uh, recovery dharma as well, right? I mean, so you 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 can't help mm-hmm. but turn the lens inward. So, I mean, you're you're doing yeah. searching and fearling, fearless inventory of yourself. Yeah, every no, time of you your, of, exactly. your, of your no self, you know, every time you exactly. sit on the cushion. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of the way I look at it. It's like I don't, I, I, I'm doing inventory every single day when I sit down to meditate. And that's like meditation is kind of the one thing where I would say, like, if you want to be successful in a recovery Dharma or Buddhist based recovery program, that's the one thing you have to do. Mm-hmm. Like there's that, that's, there's no layers around that. That's, 
anything else, any other way you want to do it, you right. can kind of, you can kind of customize it yourself, but meditation is the one thing you need to do. Uh, like every day. <laughs> what does your daily practice look like? Because as a, as a, a novice at meditating myself, um, I'm always very confused about it. I actually, a while ago, I started inquiring about, you know, transcendental meditation and uh-huh. I kind of got freaked out by the pyramid scheme type of look that it has. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I got the um, Headspace app. Or, you know, one thing that got me through the pandemic without using was I, I like forced myself to meditate by listening to guided meditations through Headspace and it really worked out. But I'm still like not clear on like what is like a good practice like what what do you do like i want to know what the experts are doing like how do you practice you know on a daily basis i don't i I don't know that i'm any sort of expert but uh, (laughs) uh so i i kind of these days i take a very kind of um traditional approach uh to buddhism um I used to be more what you might call a, um, a secular Buddhist, which is kind of like, um, kind of really a modern kind of scientific based, uh, Buddhist type of Westerner. Um, but these days I, uh, I come at it more from a, um, what would be called Theravada or, uh, insight tradition, um, approach. So my meditation routine um, is basically uh, every morning after I've kind of woken up, um, I, so I I have a I have a I use what uh, a meditation bench. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, a that seiza, you seiza bench. Uh, uh, I think, yeah, I think you could, I think that's what, that's I'm the, not sure. The Japanese exactly sure what uh, term are. for it. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. Um, and I use that, um, I do, uh, I, I do some recitations. I, I do about 15 minutes usually about, of, of reciting, um, some things, uh, in, uh, in Pali, which is like the language that the, uh, the original Buddhist suttas or discourses were written in. Um, I, I do that. And then I, I do some, I sing my refuge vows in Pali, which are going for refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. Um, then I, I take my five precepts, um, which are, um, refraining from killing or harming living beings, oh, refraining, from, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> refraining from stealing or taking things that are not freely given to me, mm. uh, refraining from uh, false speech, so lying, uh, harsh speech, speaking unkindly to people, divisive speech, which could be seen as like gossiping or like trying to turn people against one another. Mm. Um, and then there's Sexual misconduct is a big one. And uh, um, what's the last one? Uh, uh, honor thy father and mother. And oh, don't, no, no intoxicating <laughs> no. substance. No shall not steal. <laughs> the biggest, the most important precept no intoxicants for uh, a recovering addict. <laughs> yeah, kind of a big one, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I usually, I usually chant a, uh, a sutra that's a pretty popular sutra called the metta sutta 
Um, and then I do about a minimum of 30 minutes of basically Vipassana meditation is what I would call it. Mm. Um, so that has to do with just um, trying to develop concentration on your breath and body um, and uh, using sort of using that concentration as a way to uh, settle, sort of settle your mind down just enough so you can watch how it works and kind of how it, how it moves and how sort of thoughts come up and why they kind of come up. Um, that kind of thing. This sounds really cool. I like, I really love this stuff. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider, but like for me, like compared to all of the other recovery stuff that I've studied or done, like, I feel like this Buddhist recovery, it's, it's so like advanced. I feel like it's, it's like spiritually advanced, like pro level inner work, you know, like it's one thing, like it's great to pray. Uh, I'm a Christian myself. And one thing I loved about recovery Dharma was as a Christian an open-minded Christian, this doesn't like conflict with any, any basically of my, the most important beliefs that I have. And then it, for me, it, it maybe that's just me making it work because I wanted to, but for me, it fits right in with just, like understanding yourself and, you know, doing that work and being, you know, um, reflecting on yourself. And I I think it's, I love this. I I really do. I'm I'm really uh, happy that I uh, started studying this a little bit. Um, It sounds great. And it seems to have worked for you. I mean, um, you find that you're, you're finding a lot of inner peace, like comparatively, you know, when you're not doing the practices, if you let it, if you let it slip for a few days, do you, really feel the difference? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I actually, um, I just got back from, uh, from being out of town for a few days and there were about, there were about two, two days in there where I, I really just didn't have like any time to, to meditate. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I, maybe got in like five minutes on one of those days and yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely feel a, a big difference in, in those couple days. I usually kind of try to prepare myself for times like that. If I know they're coming, um, try and get a little extra, extra practice in, um, before them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like you didn't, you know, you didn't take a medication that you were you need to take <laughs> right. kind of thing. <laughs> you definitely feel it when you, when you skip a day or two. Um, I, I've, yeah. been, I've been lately, you know, I, I had a couple of business trips and, and that's probably going to start ratcheting up a little more in the next few months, but doing it on the road is, is interesting. Um, you know, because you don't have your, like I, you know, I sit, I kneel, but I don't have a bench. I use cushions and I can't bring those Mm -hmm. with me, you know, halfway across the country. So, you know, I found myself perched in a hotel bed with this stuff under my butt, trying to make that work and, uh, (laughs) you know, making it work, but you, you got, you you really have to, it's, it's a daily practice. It's like brushing your teeth at some point. It gets to be essential, you know, um, do you, are you a vegetarian just out of curiosity? No, okay. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> is that necessary it, because you're well, not harming animals? I mean, the Dalai Lama is not a vegetarian. His, He's not. His doctor told him he to he tried it, but the doctor said yeah. I think he eat eats eat. primarily a Chick Fil A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Dharamsala so Chick Fil A. <laughs> the vegetarian thing is is yeah, it's kind of a it's, it's definitely controversial, and it's 
you know, I think it's better to maybe try, if you're going to be a Buddhist, maybe it's better to try and not eat so much meat all the time. But uh, <laughs> in Kansas City, that's a, that's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, like, it, it, overall, organism in the Mahayana sect of Buddhism, which mm-hmm. is kind of the, the later um, sort of Chinese Zen is Mahayana. Some people say Tibetan is, but um, that's where I live. That's my, that's my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Zen um, yeah. And then, like, you know, the Buddha, you know, he, he, he taught his, his original monks that, you know, you, you go, you know, they go out and they depend on, uh, the lay people, the community for their food, donating their food. And so they, they were not allowed to, to uh, reject offerings of food to them. So that included meat. The only little caveat was that unless if they, if they had reason to believe that the animal they were eating was killed specifically for them, or if they saw or heard the animal being killed, then they weren't supposed to take it. But otherwise, um, they would eat it. And then also, like, technically eating meat, according to traditional Buddhism, doesn't go against the not killing precept. And it's kind of a gray area, but it's like, because I am specifically not killing the animal, I am not breaking technically it's a little legalistic wasn't it, yeah it is a little <laughs> splitting bit like hairs. That. Terms, it is definitely splitting hairs but also at the same time you know they talk about this in the refuse recovery book um you know they they say something like we recognize that we live in a world with a food chain and that eating meat is just kind of a realistic thing to do and that even if you're a vegetarian or a vegan there's lots of animals like insects and stuff that right. die in the process of, sure. of creating those foods. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing. <laughs> so, um, given that discussion of meat, are you more a Jack stack barbecue guy or, <laughs> or a Joe's Kansas city? Cause I don't know what either of those things are. Are you making inside Kansas City jokes? I, I am. I, I have no idea. I, I have a, I spent a fair amount of time eating at both of those places. All I know uh, about is bagel places and pizza places. I don't know anything about that. You need to come to Kansas City now. I'll oh, show man. you. Oh. Uh, we can't wait to go uh, on tour, man. <laughs> but I, uh, that's a tough one. I, I have a lot of favorites, uh, but I'd say Joe's is. Yeah, there's a, there uh, up there above Jack. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, are we uh, are we bumping up against yeah. clock, the clock? Oh, we or? are. I mean, I could talk to Jed all day. Yeah, and, um, for sure. So why don't we wrap it up now? But I, I just wanted to say, Jed, it's so great to talk to you. And you know, Jed and I have sort of been interacting in the way that people do on Facebook groups, right? Um, but you know, we, we it's been really great to get to know you, Jed, and I'm I'm really pleased that. Um, you listened to our show at all. I was uh, really happy to hear <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I love it. I, I was, it made me really happy when I said, okay, Jed said he liked the show. And it, <laughs> like, even though we like never met, it's such a weird thing with this Facebook. Um, but uh, I really appreciate it. And um, I you know, respect your opinion a lot. And that's why we had you on. And uh, I'm hopefully, I'll get off my ass and, and I'm going to, 
I'm going to finish reading the Recovery Dharma book, I promise. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I, you know, I plan on uh, really studying it more, and, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, Jed, and hopefully we can get you on again if you had fun, and um, we'll pay you the same amount as we did this time, <laughs> <laughs> which is exactly what we make. <laughs> right. um, but thank you so much, Jed. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, All right and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, right. Jack. Take man. care, man. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. All right. That was great. And was great. I uh, always it's always awkward to end those calls. It, it, yeah. it is because, you know, you could just keep talking all yeah. day and then. It's true. And I was talking to uh, Dopey Dave from the Dopey Podcast about it. And I was saying, like, how do you how do you close an interview? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, it's just every single time it's it's awkward. You know, <laughs> eventually you run out of things to talk. Yeah. About, and you're like, so uh, we'll talk to you later. But yeah. thank you so much, Jed. That was so great. And uh, I knew he was really well versed in that. And uh, and I see how active he is. Uh, on the on the Zoom meetings, mm, and definitely. Um, I would like to say that we will be right back <laughs> after these words. So, do you always sing when you pee, or yeah, just after it, having two double espressos? No, it helps me. I, I do. I actually always do that. Do you really? Because well, you know, it must be fun at home. Yeah, <laughs> I have oh, to sing. Where's Daddy? Oh, okay, he's peeing because yeah, I sometimes, can hear the singing coming from the bathroom. Sometimes I go full operatic in my house, <laughs> uh, which I will not do on this microphone, um, and it helps me go. But um, we're back, and um, that was really cool. I, I, I can't say this enough. I love this recovery Dharma stuff. Um, I can't say it enough. I love the Dharma stuff. Keep it going. It, oh. <laughs> um, so, All thank right. you, Jed. Moving Right along. Do you know what time it is? Yes, I do. What time is it? It's time for Recovery in the News. Every time it gets Every me. Time. Every time. So uh, this week's Recovery in the News news article comes from uh, connectradiofm.com. Um, it's about some fellow named Lamar Odom, uh, who I guess plays uh, sports ball. He, um, he yes. speaks on his recovery. He's a basketballer. Using ketamine to treat addiction. Now, ketamine, in my recollection, was a drug that you took to tranquilize animals or take it at a rave. Yeah, ketamine at a rave, huh? I mean, I used to do it in college. I had a roommate whose girlfriend knew how to make it, and so she was, like, baking. She had the liquid. Ketamine cakes? She, no, it was weird. Yeah, kind of. She would get the liquid. I guess it was veterinarian stuff. Oh, right, yeah. And you take the liquid, and somehow she would put it in our oven. We had an apartment, and then she'd come out with all this. She would make the freaking ketamine, and I would take Did you bump. take ketamine? Oh, yeah, sure. I've done everything, except for PCP. How was ketamine? Ketamine, it just kind of like knocks you out a little bit. It's a big-time sedative. Did you hallucinate? No, I didn't hallucinate, but I would do a bump of it. And you kind of get spaced out. It reminded me of canned air a little bit. Just <laughs> It really just blasts you out. And then I was playing Zelda on the N64. while, And then I would like nod out on it. Um, yeah, I but, do that without ketamine. Um, so he's had a lot of drug problems in the past. Well, Lamar Odom, whose battle with uh, drug addiction led to a near-death experience, apparently. He's, uh, he's opening up 
about his use of a synthetic drug that he said helped him beat addiction. And that drug, of course, was ketamine. Uh, he's 41 years old, and he said being treated with small doses of ketamine under medical supervision for the last two years has helped keep him sober. Cool. Uh, I went to rehab and did some other things, but ketamine came into my life at the right time. Uh, he said in a recent interview, uh, I'm feeling amazing. I'm alive. I'm sober. I'm happy, he said. Uh, now, they describe ketamine in this article as a pain medication with hallucinogenic effects. That's interesting. Uh, it was approved in the 1970s as an anesthetic by the U.S. FDA. Uh, a decade later in the 80s, it became a popular club drug. That's, that was I my recollection. I never hallucinated on like, it. Maybe I wasn't getting did you good ever go, shit. Did you ever go to the limelight? I used to go to the limelight in the tail end of the 80s. I might have gone. I was into hardcore, New York City hardcore music. Oh, so more CBGBs. We were at like Hammerheads yeah. and stuff like yeah, that, yeah, CBGBs. Yeah. Irving Plaza. Yes, yeah, lots yeah. of Irving Plaza. Um, health officials are now discovering that in small doses, the drug may be helpful to people suffering with everything from addiction to anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, suicidal feelings, and other mental health conditions. Man, I should try this stuff. Um, I suffer from all of that. Uh, Odom, uh, Lamar apparently had his first encounter with drugs at the age of 12, and then in 2015, they found him unresponsive in a Las Vegas brothel, having suffered 12 seizures, six strokes, and his heart stopping twice. Jesus. That must have been some <laughs> hooker. <That> was, <laughs> what did that cost? <laughs> My God. Uh, now That's he funny, says, though. That's tragic. Yeah, it is, of course. Uh, small doses of ketamine he receives over the course of sessions that last an hour have left him without the urge to use drugs such as cocaine. I don't wake up looking to do lines or waking up in a dark place or feeling unfulfilled. Or waking up in a brothel. <laughs> uh, after having died. When Kobe passed away, you know, the old Lamar, that would have been every excuse in the world for me to get high, but doing drugs didn't even enter my mind. So I didn't know a lot about ketamine, so I look it up on WebMD, and I guess it triggers the activity of a neurotransmitter called glutamate in the uh, cortex of your brain, similar to Chinese food, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my different. recollection of it was it just kind of like spaced me out and slowed me down. Like things were slow. I guess there was auditory hallucinations mm. where like the sound of things kind of, kind of slow. Like it, it was a long time ago, but um, I guess, yeah. You know, if it's helping this guy who has had a documented, you know, as you can hear in this article, problems nearly dying and he was struggling and struggling and he was one of these guys that he was so successful he was at the pinnacle of nba basketball which is some people scoff at uh, the nba and i don't know why these people are the most athletic uh, athletically skilled yeah. these are the top like howard stern used to say um on his radio show that i always thought this was was it made a lot of sense he was saying because uh, he was arguing with one of the guys on his show about whether or not N NBA guys were athletes. And he's like, are you kidding me? They were comparing him to like golf guys because right. maybe one of the guys on his show was saying, Tiger Woods is the greatest athlete of all time. <laughs> and uh, Howard was like, no way. He's like, I said, it's LeBron James, of course. And then the way he said he thought of it was if there was an alien race came to our planet and they said, we're here to destroy you but we want to do this in one-on-one -on -one combat. Your best guy versus our best guy. Would you pick Tiger Woods or would you pick LeBron James to defend the planet? Right. I might pick Colin McGregor, but like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you see the point. Yeah, like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, any, like, any sport that 80-year-old 
men can can do reasonably right. well is probably Tiger you know, Woods is a phenomenally talented athlete, but not in the greatest athlete of all time. I mean, it's golf, so let's be uh, let's be real here. So I mean, there have been some clinical trials that have shown quite a lot of promise with ketamine, uh, although the amounts that are heroic. Um, the people who got had cocaine addictions got ketamine through an IV for five days. Holy shit! I took <laughs> a bump. I'm like, wow, that's. Um, and then uh, some motivational enhancement therapy as well, and the ketamine lowered the chances of relapsing into addiction um, more than just therapy alone. So hey, whatever. I mean, psychedelics are weird. Um, some people, I guess, they're great treatment modalities, but as our recent guest just discussed, uh, sometimes you can be their own addictions, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ecstasy, acid, you sure. know, so. But uh, glad to hear that. Whatever you uh, do, be careful out there, kids. Lamar Odom is doing well with this, and we'll, more on ketamine therapy uh, later on in one of our episodes. We'll try and find a veterinarian to discuss. Motherfucker. Oh, sorry. We don't do it at the end. Anyway, uh, all right. It's kind of arbitrary. Well, okay. And now it's time for Week in Weird. Hiker in Canada spots Ogopogo by Tim Benal. I'm, I'm saying the people who write this now because it's too good. A woman visiting Canada's Okanagan Lake earlier this week believes that she may have spotted the site's legendary monster Ogopogo. According, according, <laughs> to, just made that up according to a local media report, the intriguing sighting occurred on Monday morning as Andrea, who opted not to reveal her last name, just like in recovery, <laughs> it's Andrea H., right. who opted not to reveal her last name, was hiking in an area overlooking the massive body of water. Her peaceful commune with nature was shattered when she suddenly noticed a strange disturbance on the lake. Quote, I saw something thrashing or something in the water, she recalled. It was huge and it was black and it was moving pretty fast. Was it and Lamar, o- Lamar no, Odom? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and it had a wake behind it. Andrea went on to note that the creature, whatever it was, submerged itself, then reemerged, pulling a wake behind it. It then submerged itself again and disappeared. She stressed that there were no boats on the water at the time and, quote, I saw birds dive bomb this thing as well. <laughs> Looking back on the sighting, which she called, quote, freaky, Andrea is bewildered. They're always bewildered. I love this. <laughs> of course. She was bewildered by the whole experience, musing that, quote, there was something weird going wow. on. End quote. That's insightful. At the lake that morning. Yeah. Uh, regarding what the oddity could have been, uh, although she conceded that it might have been a sturgeon, yeah. the sheer size of the animal seemed to make her question that assessment. It was a very big sturgeon. Alas, as is often the case with such wondrous events. <laughs> Alas. Andrea only thought to snap a picture near the end of the sighting, and unfortunately her photo is fairly harder to decipher due to both the timing and her distance from the water, which was about 300 feet below her. Be that as it may, whatever she witnessed left an impression on her as she declared, quote, I definitely will not be jumping off a boat in the middle of the lake this summer. There's no freaking way. End quote. And that. Well, thanks, Andrea. Uh, it was a sturgeon, just, <laughs> just to let you know. Why can't it be the Ogopogo? Why does it have to be a sturgeon? I mean, what is this, some Loch Ness monster ripoff kind of thing? It or, could be. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of cryptids uh, floating around in these lakes. My name is Andrea, and I'm a cryptozoologist. (laughs) And that is Week and Weird. Well, 
That about does it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com and check out our new merch page. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. If you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media. Reach out and touch us. Reach out and touch someone. Check out our show notes. Find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and Twitter. Tweet us at twat. You twit. Please go to your Apple Podcast app uh, or iTunes on your PC and Five-star reviews will be read on the air. You know, just to break in before we finished, um, do you think people listen to us at like one and a half or two times speed? I know somebody mentioned they did people that on that. Facebook. And I'm thinking like how insanely fast that would be because we're we're New Yorkers, right? Yeah. And so we just we just vomit out, yeah. you know, words <laughs> as fast as we can possibly do it. And what that must sound like, we should do a little clip of, that, of what we sound like. Yeah, let's like, go like 1.5. Especially 1. when we 5. do the fast stuff at the beginning and it, the end. It's actually a funny thing. Somebody did this to Dopey Dave where they um, had his, had the Dopey podcast on it like a quarter speed, like slower. <laughs> and it sounds Yeah, like everybody sounds wasted when you do that. Wasted, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, in the sorry. future, that's yeah. coming. Um, so, as we say, non profit yet perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See I got it right this week. Thank you. Yes. See you next time. Bye. Be good. Also. Bye.